two options. You either follow my rules or follow my rules. Capiche? Thank you. I can do it a different way. Oh, that's, that's fine. Thank you very much. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. You could just write your own rules, you know? Write something that's as interesting as you are. What are you going to do? I have my own club. Welcome to this week's episode of The Film Coterie. I'm Roger Legg. And I am Adam Barney. And Matt Upton is on assignment, right? Yeah, he's <laughs> deep in the field. Deep in the field. Hey, welcome to episode number two. And this is uh, part two of our top 10 films of 2016. And we uh, recorded last week our top 10. And when we were done with the show, we realized it was about three hours. And Yeah, it ran a little long. Yeah, just a little long. And so we decided to break this into two episodes, and so you're getting part two this week for, I think, January the 27th week of, right? Yep. And um, we're very excited to have you listening to our podcast. Um, We are the the last, what, the last podcast ever, right? Good chance that (laughs) everyone else is done creating their podcast, and we're just the very last to arrive. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we jump into last week, we covered our top uh, 10, 10 through 6 films of 2016, and I won't review those. You can just go to the website. And um, t- in this episode, Matt will be back from assignment later in the episode, and he will lead us through our top five films of 2016. And then we will have, at the end of the show, our movie homework. And so stick around for that. That's a lot of fun. We reviewed the movie uh, that our homework assignment was, and then we also reassigned new films to watch for the for the crew here. So, anyway, Adam, uh, what about news and notes for the for the what's happened? Has anything happened in the film industry in the last week that's worth talking about? Yeah, there may be some discussion about the Oscar nominations. They came out yesterday. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, La La Land got a record tying fourteen nominations, and that's no one's surprise, really. La La Land's a titan going into the season. Yeah, absolutely. And that is actually the movie review for our episode this uh, this week before we get into our top five. But we also had some other news. And we'll probably, when Matt gets back from assignment, maybe next week or the week after, we'll actually have a longer discussion about maybe some of the Oscar nominations, what we liked and what we didn't like. But I want to take a minute to just plug our website, thefilmcoterie.com. It is really filling up with some great content. And so some of the highlights from this week was we got a new Star Wars title for Episode Eight, didn't we? The Last Jedi. So, so Adam, what do you think about that? What was your first reaction when you saw Star Wars in all red and then the words The Last Jedi? Well, the first thing I did, I went to StarWars.com to make sure it wasn't a hoax because we've had a ton of fake titles here recently. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But no, it's legit. It's called The Last Jedi. Jedi's plural, so we don't know if it's referring to Rey and Luke or maybe it's just about Luke. Who knows, right? I mean, Ray's not a Jedi yet. She still has to do her montage of training. (laughs) Exactly. But we are in a... This is an episode eight year, right? Later this year in December. December, In December, we will get episode eight. 
And the saga will continue with, I guess, Ray's training and Luke's role and what's going to happen, you know? And the rumor is we're going to get a trailer attached to Beauty and the Beast in March. So that's probably our first look at Episode 8. So I just a little uh, hint, that probably will be the film review. <laughs> oh, I know you're voting for Beauty and the Beast when I'm it comes gonna, out. I'm going to vote for Beauty and the Beast just simply because it's my favorite Disney animated film of all time. And I uh, can't wait to see the live action, the, the live version of that. So, But we definitely encourage you to come to our website, filmcoterie.com. We're pushing as much content as we can right now. And, you know, like it, comment it steer us i mean we're looking for direction if you like something let us know if you hate something let us know no absolutely and and we're starting to see some interest in the site and we actually are going to have a guest blogger uh next week uh hidden figures the movie that just that has just been released uh aaron marshall a friend of mine from west virginia she's going to review that film and put her thoughts down and she's our kind of person she is a uh, outdoorsman and a nerd and a science lover and a geek and all those kind of cool things. And so she went and saw Hidden Figures. And uh, um, I mentioned to her, she was she was writing on Facebook about the film. And I said, hey, would you be interested in writing for our website? And she said, sure. So look for that. Look for Aaron's um, preview of that film or review of that film next week on the website. And we'll tweet and Facebook about it, too. Those are two other good sites to catch up with us. We're Film Coterie on Twitter, at Film Coterie on Twitter. And if you just Facebook and search for Film Coterie, you'll find us there, too. Now, now, um, Adam, a couple other articles that came up real quick, and we'll just mention them, is uh, what to see in the theaters now. And we'll try to kind of update that maybe and, and keep you involved. In what's some, you know, all of us go to the movie theater, and we stand there, and we're like, what can we see? There's 15 pictures here. What's good? What's going to be a dud? And hopefully we can give you a, um, an answer that direction as, as far as what to see. Yeah, we're doing what to watch in theaters. We're also doing an article, what to stream, which will give yeah. you some home viewing options. And Matt's working on one right now. That's going to focus on movies for mo- for music lovers. He's got a couple picks that if you like music, you need to check out these movies on the streaming services. Awesome. And I forgot to mention, Adam, that we do have a third podcast host with us this morning, and that would be Duke, my uh, golden retriever. So if, we're, we're actually uh, recording here at the house. And uh, just to give you this little, this little special intro before we get into our top five. And so if you hear a bark or the, the rattle of his collar, that's just Duke chiming in on the podcast. Um, and then the last thing I want to throw up here is there's something about this Finnish samurai. What, what, what is, what's up with the Finnish samurai, man? The article's up on Film Coterie. It's a movie coming, hopefully, to the film festivals here soon. I don't even dare pronounce the name. <laughs> Just go to the article and check it out. But yes, it's a movie about a Finnish samurai, and it looks even crazier than it sounds. Oh, I, I, I will be there to check it out for sure. So, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for news and notes and things for the week. Um, let's, let's go ahead and jump right into our review of La La Land. All right. This week's film is La La Land. And I had the privilege to go check it out yesterday morning. So it is uh, right in my memory wheelhouse. It's very fresh in my mind. I think you saw it a little while ago, right? I saw it back in December, and I do want to see it again. I just haven't had the chance. Okay. And La La Land stars Ryan Gosling, who's noted for films like The Big Short. And there's one coming up that we're all excited about. What's what's the one coming up he's in? That would be Blade Runner 2049 from Denis Villeneuve, the guy that just gave us Arrival. 
Oh, excellent. And also starring Emma Stone, who was in Birdman and The Help. And the director, Damien Chazelle, is uh, the, uh, he directed Whiplash, which was a big, I was a huge fan of Whiplash. Yeah, safe to say this guy's arrived with directing. Yeah. So La La Land has has landed like, I mean, it is just a huge deal. You said a record 14 nominations at the Oscars? Yeah, tied Titanic. Holy mackerel. So, so Adam, what was your... What what are your thoughts about this film? What you know, you saw it about a month ago. You it's it's had time to simmer and percolate in your thinking. You mentioned you wanted to see it again, maybe. Yeah, I want to see it again. I've only seen it the one time, and I really like this movie. It stuck with me. Um, I'm a musical guy, surprisingly. I like a lot of musicals, and I think you're the opposite, right? I I actually am, and so. If they make fun of me because I am a musician. I, I, I play in a band and, you know, I have a musical background, but I'm not, uh, let me just say it this way. I, I'm not a huge fan of just the musical itself, you know. Um, I like them, but I'm not a huge fan. And that may have even colored a little bit of my review I'm going to give of La La Land, you know. Um, when, when, let me just say this up front because, because I really, really liked the movie a lot. I liked the music in it. I liked what it tried to do. I liked the chances that it took. I liked, there's a lot of things I really like. I I think it's a great movie. I think it's deserving of a lot of those Oscar nominations, you know. Um, Did I have a couple issues with the film? I I did, actually. And probably to everybody's surprise was I didn't like the opening number. I didn't like the highway, you know, the the, the very first opening scene. It, it, and and there were a couple things that, 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 Damien Chazelle, he he decided to do, and and it's, I mean, I know some people love that. That was the highlight for them. That was like, wow, what incredible! But it was just very disorienting to me for some reason. I, I you know, I get that he was trying to do because I'm a lover of classic, you know, classic films, and I and I've seen a lot of the old musicals and stuff, and the camera moves through and different dancers and scenes. And he was trying to throw back yet show the modern advances we have in photography, but it just the opening number I thought was okay, but I was like, oh, okay, this is, that was different. And now we're into the movie, you know, kind of a it, deal. It sets the tone of the movie and it, it introduces the two stars. They run into each other in this traffic jam and it doesn't go well between the two of them. No, and it does not. And, and I, and I kind of like that. I kind of like, cause it sets up your basic, it almost set up that basic, that, that stereotypical rom-com feel where two bump into each other, they fight, they hate each other. And then they end up, you know, hooking up or getting together and find out that they're actually meant to be for each other, you know. But I mean, when you look back at that scene, what do you think bothered you about it? Was it the music, the choreography, the way it was shot? I'm sitting there and maybe it's just me. I'm telling I felt I wanted to like this film more than I did. And I did like it. I wanted to walk away loving it. You know what I'm saying? But it's like I'm watching it and I thought, I feel like I'm watching the Macy's Day Parade and they're all lip syncing. That was the feeling I got. Like I saw their mouths moving and maybe I got a bad reel or a bad copy of the film or something, but it was like, it didn't seem like it's, it was like they were lip syncing to the music and dancing and they weren't actually singing. If that makes any sense at all, you know? And so that kind of put me off a little bit. I I liked the, uh, the idea of shutting down and and filming in the highway. And I thought that was kind of cool, you know, uh, 
But he did several things with the camera later, even in a pool scene where he was, you know, the camera's right there at the water's edge. And well, it follows a guy jumping off the roof. And yeah. A big splash. You know, and that kind of bought that. That was off putting for me just a little bit. That 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 choice of, of cinematography there, you know, and it's just a choice. I'm not saying it was I think it was well executed. I think it was, I think the opening scene was very well executed, you know. I mean, for the musical numbers, that opening scene and then maybe the song at the house party are probably the most overproduced because the singing between Emma Gosling or Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling later on is is kind of raw. Absolutely. And, you know, um, since you mentioned that, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I thought it was a very interesting choice to have Emma Stone under sing most of the movie. Yeah. You know? And I think, in my personal opinion, he almost overplayed that too much. And this is why I say that. You know, when when she finally opened up, there's a moment in the movie. I'm trying not to spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. I'm trying not to get it. But there's a moment in the scene where her life shifts and her voice shifts as she's singing. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you remember that scene or not. And we won't have to say what it is. But No, I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. And then she sings, you know, most of the film, I'd say three quarters of the film, she sings in this real high pitched uh, melodic tone that you hear people sing that maybe can't really sing, but they're trying to just cover the song. And when she finally opened up and belted, I, I sat there and went, my God, where has this been the whole film? Why ain't she been singing like this? You know, and I know that I, I, I guarantee that was a choice by the director to do that intentionally to show her make that transition. I just maybe wished it would. have. And then as soon as that scene is over, she goes back into that high falsetto voice singing the rest of the film. And I thought, okay, you know, I mean, here, here you have Emma Stone, who I think is just amazing. I mean, her performance stole the whole movie i think she was just th th there's and i know i'm just rambling but i just saw the movie yesterday so i have all these streams of thoughts in my mind yeah sure but her very first audition where she starts to tear up i'm thinking this girl can flat act you know and that's a good scene because that's typical hollywood of the execs just being distracted no one's getting any attention paid to them in the audition no exactly and so um I just would have loved seeing her really featured in a number, in a musical number, where they let her just flat out belt out a tune and really bring it home and sing, you know. Um, so, but but I thought Ryan Gosling was excellent. I thought his performance was really good. He's sort of the lovable buffoon again. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's Very stubborn. His life motto is he's just going to let life keep punching him until it gets tired. You know, absolutely. And so... Um, and 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 I won't I won't spoil the end of this film at all. But I liked how the film resolved. I liked the ending of the movie. I thought, okay, that's really cool. You know that that's kind of how life is, and maybe how life is in Hollywood to some degree. You know. Yeah. If you think about the ending, I don't think it would have worked the other way. If you had walked out of the theater and the ending nope. had gone the complete opposite yep. direction, it weakens the film. I think it would have crashed the film absolutely. And and. Uh, just the look between Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling at the end really sold the whole deal of the, of the film. Well, let's talk about the piano theme, too. There's a piano theme that recurs through the entire movie. Ryan Gosling plays it again and again. And I think it gets louder and louder, and it sort of changes its meaning throughout the movie, too. A absolutely. Th this is a film definitely worth a rewatch just to kind of catch some of those subtleties that, that uh, Chazelle put in the film as he was directing it. 
I, you know, I was reading an article and interesting that Ryan Gosling had never played the piano before this. And when he prepared for this role, he took piano lessons for three hours a day for three months solid every day. And did that turn him into a virtuoso? Absolutely not. But it enabled him to get good enough to fake it and make it seem realistic. As you know, I'm, I'm a pianist. I play the piano. And so I can tell instantly when a guy's just totally, you know, if it's drums, bass, or piano, all three instruments I play, I can tell when they're just not, that's not a musician, you know. But he actually learned piano. And, and, and whether he was hitting the exact notes or not, or whether he was actually playing that, he was, it looked like he was playing. It wasn't no fake. It wasn't no show the hands, then cut to the face, and then show the hands, and then cut to the face while somebody else is doing all the work, you know. So was he faking when he was playing the guitar at the party? <laughs> I know that's not your instrument. But. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't think so, but uh, that was a great scene. I had to be honest with you. I loved the, uh, the 80s cover band or whatever they were. That was a great scene in the movie. I actually laughed out loud. Yeah, that's a great scene. So anyway, uh, I, I like it. I can see why it was nominated for 14 Oscars. Um, I had not seen this uh, prior to my top 10. So it will not be, you know, spoiler alert, it's not going to be on my top 10. Uh, but it probably would have broke into the top 10 somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't know if it had made the top five or not. Um but it definitely would have been in my top top 10 films if I'd have had the ch- chance to see it in December. And I keep pushing this down to everybody that talks about La La Land. There's an old French movie from 64 called Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It's Chazelle's favorite movie. He's gone out in interviews and said that. And now that you've seen La La Land, if you watch Umbrellas, you'll see some clear influences, especially that piano theme kind of having a central part to the movie. And just some of the, the way the movie plays out. I mean... If you like La La Land, you should definitely check out Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It's available on iTunes. I don't think you can stream it anywhere, but it's out there. Awesome. Well, so that so that's La La Land. Um, it's in theaters now. Go out and check it out, and uh, send us a, send us your review. Send us your comments. Go to our, our film site, uh, filmcoterie.com, and, and and go to our our section and just hey, you know, put some comments in there about La La Land. What what you thought of it in the show notes uh, for this episode? So, any other yeah. thoughts that direction, Adam? Is it safe to say that we're both giving it a recommendation? Oh, absolutely. Without reservation. I, okay. I, I, I thought you might have some minor reservations. I have no reservations in no, recommending this no, movie. No, no. I, I really, it's one of those movies I'm just picking at a little bit. What, what Overall, I, great movie. Um, I, I haven't written a review for it. I'll probably write it from write a review from my blog and, and then rate it then. Uh, one to five stars. I haven't thought, haven't had enough time to digest it. I may even go see it again before I do the review just to see what else I maybe missed in it, you know? Um, but no, without reservation, I, I would totally recommend the movie. And I think it's really, it's pretty appropriate for about all ages. You know, I, I'm trying yeah. to think, I couldn't think of any content that would be unfriendly, you know? It's a modern movie sort of about old Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it has those tendencies. They, right. they just have a cute relationship. There's nothing adult in their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are conti- are, are comparing the movie uh, to um, Hail Caesar that was released early in 2016. And I think that's interesting that people do that because 
Hell Caesar is a movie actually set in old Hollywood, you right. know, whereas this is a movie whose themes and appearance is a throwback or a callback to old Hollywood, but it's definitely set, you know, modern times kind of deal. So um, that's La La Land. It is uh, it is available in wide release right now. And uh, yeah, we I think we're definitely going to it probably will make our film coterie recommends page. Yeah, as soon as Matt sees it and can weigh in privately to us. If he likes it, we'll throw it up on that page. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our top five movies of 2016. This is the Film Coterie. Welcome back to the Film Coterie, and um, we're doing our top 10 list, and we are down to number five now, so we're into the the better half of the list, uh, and we're at number five now, and it's uh, my pleasure to go first with number five, uh, and I think both of you have already put this on your list, this movie, uh, and it is Sing Street for me. Um, I love this movie. Um, uh, I like the fact that it is the, it pushes a lot of buttons. I like music. I grew up in the grunge era, but I've always had this guilty little pleasure of new wave music. And the fact that we're talking about British teenagers in the eighties, forming a band to play music is, was just great to me. Um, and the fact that he does it all for a girl, I mean, that is, that's what I want I out of one of these movies. <laughs> that was so great. He's just like, uh, what can I do to impress a girl? Oh, yeah, I'm in a band. Yeah. <laughs> and we're making a music video. Exactly. Yeah. At, at that moment, you know, there's a girl in the corner. No one's going and talking to her. He gets up the nerve to go over and talk and says, we should do, you know, you need to be in our video shoot. We have a band. We have a band. And then he leaves, turns around, he's freaking out, comes back to his friend and looks at him and goes, we need to form a band. <laughs> so, you know, just off the cuff, this is what's happening. Um, and it kind of follows that relationship story and how that translates into his music. Um, the soundtrack of this, we were talking as far as music used by other people in the movie. I loved, I thought it was great. Um, all the songs I thought they they fit, you know, when when she tells him to be happy, sad, he, you know, goes through his cure phase and he actually goes through phases in the movie, dresses differently depending on what's going on. Um, I like that they wrote original music for it, um, but that may be why it's not a little bit higher for me. I'm going to be honest with you um, as not an aficionado of that era of music, but but someone that listens to a lot of new wave um the original stuff while it was close never gave me that sense that it was new wave music and oh, I, yeah and i think if it had i think it would have been bumped up a couple more spots for me because the music was such an integral part of the movie but yeah I, yeah right you, so you know i i i feel the exact same way i found it interesting and this is how bands form are formed anyway they're inspired by other music 
And so they would start to do a song and it would sound just like a song they just heard on the TV, but then they would tweak it a little bit to make their own and add their lyrics to it, you know? And so part of me was like, I don't know if I buy that. I mean, you know, but at the same time, I know that's how a lot of music was made. They were inspired by listening to other bands. And actually, Matt, you brought up a good point when you were talking to me about this movie. Um, You compared it to Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, and I think that's where a little bit it fell short for me because you know, Scott Pilgrim, who had, they had Beck. Was yeah. it Beck that wrote the music? Yeah, it was Beck. Uh, and this one, it was Gary Clark, I think, that did all the music. Uh, and uh, the director, Carney, was, it's actually his band that plays the music. Whereas in Scott Pilgrim, they brought in Beck to do the music. And he wrote music so that the actors could actually play that music. And it, you know, and yes, it may be more elementary. Um, but it still, but I think it accomplished its goal. It had, it was elementary, but it, it was there. It was, it felt more real. Um, now, now and you weren't going for a specific genre it, of music. It's interesting you say that, Matt, because did it kind of feel the only detraction I might have from the movie? And I'm sure it was intentional was when they would start playing, they would be raw and more natural. And then it slipped into MTV video, radio mode. edit. Radio edit mode. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely. I, I think that's what distracted me from it. Two things. The fact that, you know, I mean, I play guitar. Um, I learned guitar in my bedroom, you know, with tab books I bought from the local Kroger. Right? <laughs> I, did, I didn't have a guitar teacher. I just kind of bled on the strings by myself. Um, and, you know... In this, there's no real sense of time frame, but you don't feel like a ton of time has passed because even if it's the beginning of the school year, the the, the story ends at like prom, so one year. Even maybe a semester. I mean, it might be a little tighter than that even. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty tight, and they go from barely being able to play to, you know, sounding like a real nice polished band in that yeah. period of time. Um you know, so I think the fact that there was an actual outside band that was doing it, it wasn't the kids, and that their music didn't really click that new wave genre for me is what kept it down lower. But overall, the story I, made up for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big like brat pack kind of guy, and and you know, it's not like that, but it is like that. You know, the the whole like growing up, becoming, how do you deal with relationships? Exactly. Um, how do you deal with friends? Um, you know, just growing up, adolescence and, yeah. and just figuring out who you are in this world. And I think it does an exceptional job of who you are on the, in this world. And the relationship that the um, main character has with his brother is great. Oh, um, excellent. You know, it's um, it made me wish I had an older brother. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it's someone that's that has tread that water before you to make well, there, your way there, easier. There's that one scene and I don't want to spoil it, but there's that one scene in the movie that just tore me up where you have this image of who the older brother is. And he's kind of like a stoner deadbeat, you know, that never really made it. And then, you know, he opens up and he, he, he shares his heart with his brother and says, you don't know what I did for you. And he opens up and starts to talk. about, And that just tore me up and made me feel like, man, I wish I'd have had an older brother too. You know, I wish I, you know, and then you really appreciate it's like his that whole character transformed the older brother in that instant transformed for me and I had so much more respect for him 
And then he ushers in allowing his younger brother to fulfill his dream or at least go for it. You know, I don't know. I, I, I just, I cannot, it's streaming on Netflix right now. I cannot more highly recommend Sing Street. To yeah, people to you can, if you have Netflix, it's for free. Go check it out. All right, so that's all three of us recommending Sing Street. Are we comfortable going ahead and label this as a TFC recommend? Uh, abs- I am, absolutely. Yes. All right, it's absolutely. unanimous. All right, so that was my number five, Sing Street. Now we are to Adam's number five. All right, this is the most uncomfortable title on my whole list. It's a movie called L. E-L-L-E, for the French word for she or her. Um, I only recently saw this movie. I, I missed it at Fantastic Fest. Everybody raved about it. Um, I finally caught it as it's hitting theaters now. It is a, I mean, I guess they classify it as a rape revenge movie. It is a dark subject matter. It even opens on that scene. Black scene, you hear this horrific assault. And then the movie goes from the aftermath of that. She's been assaulted in her own home, but she's not your average victim. Um, She is a sociopath. She just gets up, cleans up the mess from the broken China and eats sushi and goes about her day. And you wonder if she would have just let this go. Um, She seems to have moved on, but her attacker starts tormenting her, sending her text messages, emails, and a, a web starts to start to weave. He gets more bold in his attacks on her. And this movie never goes in the direction you think it's going to go. Tons of twists and turns. Interesting relationships with her, all of her friends and family. Um, I don't want to spoil anything. But, like I said, the movie never went in the direction I thought it was going to go with this revenge. Unfortunately, I missed this movie. It was on my list to see. And time just ran out. Um, Several of the critics that I follow and uh, listen to raved about this movie, about how good it was. Um, But it was one that I missed. Yeah, and I'm going to be careful recommending it to people. I mean, it is by far the darkest movie on my list. And it's not going to be an easy sit for 80, 90% of the public. Yeah, I I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if I will because I've... That kind of subject matter in, it's in tough. something it really I'm not a fan of, um, you know, any type of sexual abuse, be it child, be it, you know, rape. I, I just those those I, that subject matter I find really hard to deal with. And uh, I don't know if I, I know it's on a lot of people's lists. Um, I just don't know if I can do it. It's so. a very controversial film. And, and you know, I got to take my kind of hats off to you, Adam. It's a bold pick in your top 10, but you have to go with what you feel is really connects with you and resonates with, you, you know, in the sense of, uh, of appreciating the art form. Yeah. You know? And it, it slid all over my top 10. Um, I had a really hard time placing it. I knew it was going to be in the top 10. Um, I read a ton on this film. There's so much interesting commentary out there and theories. There's a lot to digest in this movie because you find out too that her father is a serial killer and there's a whole interesting backstory that he murdered, you know, 27 people in the span of a single night. And she was his child, a accomplice. Maybe the press doesn't know what she did and it never really reveals. So there's a lot of theories about her as a person wow. that makes the movie really interesting. That's pretty dark, man. Pretty heavy, that's a pretty yeah. heavy movie. I'm telling you, Whew. I need to, I need Roger. I hope your number five is, is happy. It, it is. <laughs> Let me just go ahead with my number five. As dark and as down and as heavy 
and as deep as the subject matter, my number five could not be more opposite. It is a great movie that I would recommend for the whole family. It's an animated film, and I I don't even know how I discovered this film, but my number five film is Kubo and the Two Strings. And I got to tell you, I love this movie... I mean, it's got Charlize Theron and Matthew McConaughey, and 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 that's and, and but if I didn't even know they were in this, just the actor, just the acting in this is great, and the I don't even know what art. Do you guys know what kind of art form this movie is? It's a mix of stop motion and CG. It, it's yeah. inc- I have never seen a movie visually that's made like this. I it, like you said, it's sometimes it's stop motion, sometimes it's computer graphics, and it's like. It's such a good story, heartwarming story about a young boy that overcomes and 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 you know he 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 has a quest and I don't know it just hits all those buttons for me. I cried when I was watching this movie and you know and when you find out that the people sent on the journey with him are more than what they appear to be and the resolution of the film and it ends in a very uplifting you know I don't know it just. I love, I don't want to say too much to spoil it, but I would highly recommend Kubo and the Two Strings. I love the music that he would play. He would strike a chord and it would release something into the atmosphere. I just loved this movie, man. And and it. the longer I sat and watched it and the longer I thought about it, it just kept moving. I, I thought, I, I got to be honest, it's in my top five movies of the year, you know, so. Well, I, I, I love this movie as well. Um, I liked it more than you liked it. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll talk about it a little bit later in more depth. But um, right now, at least visually, the mix of the stop motion and the animation and just the way it was shot, it it floored me. Um, I know that this studio has done other stuff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Coraline is their other really great movie. If Coraline, you haven't seen yes. Coraline... It's really good, too. You need to check that out immediately. Um, you know, I, I came across this movie. We were looking to try to find something to watch with our son. Um, you know, he's younger, under five. And just looking for something animated uh, that was good. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And... I'll talk about that a little bit more later, yeah. but it, it's it. This was great. I had two films on my top ten. This and, and the Jungle Book that visually were just so striking to me. I wish I could have caught this in the big screen to really appreciate what they did visually with this movie. So that's my number five. It is Kubo and the Two Strings. All right. Um, so that's all of our number five movies. So now we're on to number four, uh, and I believe it is on i started okay. so now it's adam uh your number four movie of okay. 2016 as i said uh after sing street and hunt for the wilder people my list was not going to be happy so <laughs> maybe that says something about me as well, a person i don't know you know a lot of critics are saying this is like the depressing movie year where all the great movies are depressing but they're so good <laughs> my number four is manchester by the sea um this is a movie about grief, both existing and present grief, and even just some grief from the past. Um, the movie opens, and a teenager loses his dad. His next of kin that's going to watch him is his uncle, who is just a broken man, played by Casey Affleck. 
And Casey Affleck is normally good, but this is by far is his best role. Um, there's sort of a hidden rage in him. He's just so broken. And the movie kind of teases a little bit until it finally reveals what happened to him. And it's just devastating. Michelle Williams is really good in this. She only has a couple scenes, but she really shines. Um, and this is a movie, like I said, you're not uplifting. But when you're done, you're just like, that's a good movie. You know, and this is a movie that's been on my radar for a while. I, I keep hearing great buzz but from the critics and, and – I, I, it's already starting to pick up buzz for, for awards and stuff from last year. And, and it's a movie that I'm definitely going to see probably at this point, it will be on demand or rental or something. But uh, yeah, I, I, everything I hear about it is just, it's even as depressing and hard as the subject is, the acting in, in it, I hear is just phenomenal. And so, and it, it didn't move me to tears, but it, it sure takes a swing at your heart with a sledgehammer. Yeah, th- I mean, I haven't seen this movie yet. Uh, this is one of those movies that if I watch without my wife, she'll kill me. Um, because for some reason, my wife believes that once you watch a movie once, um, it's just not the same. If you ever watch it again, I try to explain to her I watch the same movie repeatedly. It makes no difference to me. But she she wants to be there with me when we watch this type of movie so unfortunately yeah, I um, totally understand yeah. I have not been able to see it and I'll say this I mean Manchester is probably the best the first time you see it it's a character piece so part of the the best part in the movie is discovering these characters and their depths and that plays out over the course of the film you're never going to get that again no I agree with that but I don't understand how her first experience is impacted at all by it being my first experience Wow, that just probably says a lot about society as a whole right there. But, <laughs> I d- yeah, I don't understand how her first watching of it, you know, being introduced to those characters is affected in any way by it being my first introduction to those sure. characters. I can remember the first time I watched something. I can relate it to her. All right. So, um, now... Uh, Roger, what is your number four movie of 2016? My number four movie has already been mentioned, and it is Captain Fantastic. I loved this movie. And this, and I have to laugh because the first time I watched this, I immediately thought of Matt. I thought, I wonder what Matt Upton th- will think of this movie when he sees it. I thought of Matt, too. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. <laughs> um, as I said before, it's on my list. It's higher than even what you put. I, but I'm going to reserve a majority of my comments for uh, a later section. And it helps, too, that Matt, just like the same character, has always said he doesn't want to lie to his son. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, Matt's mantra has always been, I'm just going to be blatantly truthful with him. Truth is the way to go, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I'm watching this. And, and I, here's what I love about it is it never fell into the tropes that movies do. It never does. It, it it shows you the benefit of having the only real reach that I can see. The only real reach in the film and the dra- only drawback for me is that how realistic is it that you're going to find one man who is that brilliant and that good at rock climbing and that good at wilderness survival. He's kind of the summary of a a, a perfect utopian parentage, you know. So that's a little bit imagined, I think. Well, yeah, because you end up with essentially a super hippie, you know, that forms, starts his own commune with his family, but yet there's none of the drawbacks of it because he knows how to do everything. Exactly. You know, and so, but so 
I love the contrast. There's an event that happens that brings them back into the city, into the real world. And, 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 and you can plainly see the difference between how he has raised his family and how society, Amer- there's such a social commentary on America and parentage and what they're doing. And when he brings, there's one scene, and this is not really spoiling anything. There's two scenes where he goes to visit a brother, his brother, and um, they bring the little eight-year-old girl in and they ask her about the Bill of Rights. And she just starts, first he asks his brother's kids, or is it his daughter's kids? It's a family member's kids, one of the two. It is. His brother, right? I, I, I can't remember. But anyway. I think it's actually in-laws. In-laws, yeah. It's the in-laws, yes. And he asked the high schoolers about the Bill of Rights, and they have no clue. They just don't have no clue. He brings his eight-year-old daughter in, and she just starts reciting, and he's like, no, 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 no. I want more generalities. What is the... And so she rattles off this eloquent you know, discourse about the purpose of the Bill of Rights. That, that was very, very jarring. The other one was the kids' response. Now, these are kids that played with knives, that hunted animals, that gutted animals, that killed animals, that scaled cliffs, you know, and they're watching Street Fighter video game being played where these two guys are fighting each other and thrashing it out. This is, and they're just appalled. They're like in shock that this would be something you would even see, you know. So so the social commentary is great. And the thing I loved the most about this movie was it showed the deficit of the father's parentage and its strength, and it showed the deficit of society's parenting and its strength. And it never fell into the tropes either way. So Yeah, it's a fairly balanced approach. Yeah, absolutely. So I loved it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so that is... Oh, now we're down to me number four, right? Yep. Um, I will say that this was probably one of my most look-forward-to movies of 2016. Um, and... This is one of the movies I actually got to see in the theater. Um, I got a pass from the wife to go check this out because the moment I first saw the trailer, I said, I must go see this movie. And when it came out, she said, go for it. Um, So uh, my number four movie is The Nice Guys. So um, if you would have told me uh, before ever seeing this trailer that Hey, man, I got a movie for you to watch. It has Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling in it. You want to check it out? I would have went, nah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's directed by Shane Black, and that should get your butt in the <laughs> well, theater. That's that's when you find out it's directed by Shane Black, then you go, oh, buddy movie. This is going to be awesome. Um, and I was pumped to see them. Um, I'm not a huge Russell Crowe fan. I really liked him in this movie. I like Ryan Gosling a lot. Um uh, I've seen him in a ton of stuff. He's such a great buffoon in this movie. He is a, a, a drunken buffoon. Um, spends a lot of time drinking. Uh, for those of you that don't know, um, there is a missing girl, not missing girl. Someone hires a private detective, uh, Ryan Gosling, to search out a murdered porn star yeah yeah so um and then on the other side there is russell crowe who is um i don't even know how you describe his character it is uh he's the straight man in the movie well i mean straight man i get it but what he is he's like a not a mercenary but he's like hired muscle 
So uh, this girl believes that Ryan Gosling is stalking her, even though he, she is the subject of the PI investigation. Uh, and he's hired to uh, discourage such behavior uh, by Ryan Gosling and uh, proceeds to break his arm. Uh, and then they both find out that they're kind of on this same path. And I will tell you this, that, um, you know, Shane Black, two actors, buddy, they're going to get along. It's nice. But there was a girl in this movie that absolutely stole the show. He mixes up his formula and gives us a third character. Yes, there is. I, I'm going to butcher her name. Angori Rice, maybe. But it, she is every scene she's in is brilliant. Um, there's a scene, and I think they showed part of it in the trailer, so it's not b much of a spoiler. Um, they're hunting for this individual, and they go to, you know, a swinging party in the 70s, right? I mean, cocaine and nudity, and it's a porn party. And this little, I don't know, how old is she in the movie? 8, 10, 12? She's older. She's a young teenager. Young teenager. Um, you know, hides in daddy's car and goes in and looks and is you know, interacting in this world and just steals the scene. Well, and she's Nancy Drew in this story. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like her father, like like Adam said, Ryan Gosling is a drunken buffoon. And if it wasn't for her figuring things out, you know, I don't know what would happen. But in the end, you know, Gosling comes through, catches the film, everything works out. But for me, it was it was good from beginning to end. I enjoyed it. Everything was satisfying, even the ending. You know, in a, in a movie like this, you're like, oh, father not being a real good dad, had heartbreak. Um, you know, house burnt down, lost his wife. At the end, he's going to turn his life around, and he's going to be a good dad and take care of his kid. And, you know, the ending shot is him getting drunk again. Um, you know, so a satisfying ending, not a happy ending, not, you know, you're everything's perfect and tied up in a bow, but I loved it. I love the movie. Yeah. I mean, this is my most rewatched movie of the last year. Um, I got it as soon as it came out and I, I've thrown it on a couple times and even more than that. Um, it also feels like a spiritual successor to kiss, kiss, bang, bang, which is my favorite Shane Black movie. Oh yeah. No, definitely. It definitely is. Um, I, yeah, I, I've probably seen this movie now probably like six or seven times at this point. Um, and every time I watch it, I catch something new, some new interaction, some new wisecrack, some new look that they give each other during certain situations in the movie. I just thought it was great. So, And it does a really good job, I think, of capturing that 70s feel. Yeah, pulpy comic book. Detective oh, yeah, story. definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, I just thought it was great. And, again, this is where I have to check my coterie card at the door. I did not get to see the nice guys. It's in my queue to watch. It's all queued up, ready to go. But I, I just have not had a chance to uh, to see it yet. So, um, no, I, I'm, I'm bummed. This sounds 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 great. Um, all right. So, now we're up to number three. Number three. And, Roger, um, what is your number three film? Well, I think this film may end up then – I don't know. I uh, know it won't actually. Th it, it, this won't be a TFC approved, but uh, it has been mentioned already before by, well, I don't know. It has been mentioned, I think, by Matt, maybe mentioned. Yes, it has been. And it's Hell or High Water. 
I loved this movie. I didn't know anything about it going in, went into it cold, loved it. I, I, I just, I loved how the true nature, the thing I loved, the, I, I, the thing I loved about this the best is the way it slowly revealed the true nature of why they're doing what they're doing. These guys are robbing banks. And it starts off, you're just thinking, well, they're just thugs robbing banks because they, they need money, you know. And the way they reveal the purpose behind and why they're doing what they're doing and really what their goals are, I thought was crafted just wonderfully, just great. I, I mean, um, I thought Chris Pine was excellent. I've not been a, you know, I mean, he's been okay in Star Trek, you know, in some of the movies he's made. I thought he was a revelation. There was a there was a subtlety in his acting in this movie, nuanced where he would just make facial expressions and 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 the pacing by which he would deliver lines was just a, I, I say it again it was a revelation for me. I thought he was just spot on. Was great. Um, this is not your typical bank robbers movie. It, it, it is not your you know, two, two brothers that are a heist film kind of deal. It wants to make you think that in the beginning, but it evolves into so much more. It has a movie full of heart, great story. Um, and, uh, I uh, just, his name just, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, right? Is the, who's the sheriff that uh, Bridges, Jeff Bridges. Bridges, Jeff Bridges. Yes. I'm sorry. This isn't no country for old men. No. Yes. I, his name was eluding me. I was drawing a blank. Jeff Bridges is great in this. I, I, it's just, yeah, I just loved, loved Hill or Highwater. Uh, it's my number three movie, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it, it was already on my list. So uh, further down, like I said, it'd probably be higher up on the second watching considering I watched it over Christmas oh. break with a house full of kids. Oh, um, so good. But uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, so now we're up to our top two. No, no. Cause that was, Oh, was I the first one to go? Yeah. You were the first three. Oh man. No, I was starting to get rushing. nervous. I was starting to get nervous. You were getting like, all kinds of rushy. I was like, are we on the top two? Are we like getting to the, the, the big ones, you know? All right. So now it is my number three and this is a movie. Uh, I think we've all talked about, uh, and I've always reserved comment because I'm going to talk about it in <laughs> more detail later. Um, but I'll talk about it a little bit right now and reserve most of my comments for later. And that is Captain Fantastic. Um, I just had the opportunity to watch this movie. Um, actually last night I watched it. Um, and I loved it. I, I loved it. And I know, uh, both Roger and Adam said they watched it and said, I wonder what Matt will think of this movie. Um, I, I loved it. Um, they're right. I, once I have my son, I made the promise. I'm never going to lie to him. Um, and that's not even like tinting something. Um, you know, it, he's never had an imaginary word for private areas. Um, he's always known he has a penis and testicles. Um, you know, any questions he asks, I will explain to the best of my ability. If he has, if I don't know it, we'll go research it. We'll sit down and here's the true answer. Um, when, when my wife was pregnant, she asked me, what do you want in a child? And I said, I want a curious child. Um, and I was waiting from the moment he was born till he hit the Y phase just because I wanted to give him that knowledge and hope that he would enjoy that. And that is kind of how this movie unfolds. Um, you know, I, and I think Roger was right. It does a good 
and Adam, good balancing act between showing what it's like in that type of isolation and, um, you know, education style versus what the world has to offer. Um, but I think it, I think it does a good job in its subtlety, right? Cause the movie opens and it's just, uh, Vigo kind of training his kids. I mean like boot camp esque training his kids. And then it kind of transitions on to how they live and function. I mean, I, what the opening scene is one of the older boys killing a wild boar. Yeah. And then eating its liver, um, you know, and becoming a man. I mean, you know, full on yeah. like blood oh, yeah. on the face ceremony. You've now be you're no longer a boy. You are a man. And, yeah. um, and then you get that, which you're automatically, you know, thinking, well, these guys are pretty hardcore. And then you find out that they're well-versed in literature and knowledgeable. And I love the, um, you know, and it continues on. Um, and where Roger was saying it shows his faults as a father, you're well into the movie before you ever even find out he's married or has a, these children have a mother and yeah. there's something going on. It's not even, um, there's some type of emotional deficit that's happened there. Because, and it's because she's out of the picture. She's out. Of the, she's been out of the picture for three months. So many odd days and, and so many yeah. odd hours. And it's almost like there's a, there's a revelation of how much she grounded the whole family in reality to a point, you know, even though maybe she struggled with her own reality and just some, just some of the things, well, that that's hinted, you don't really know, but it's like, well, mom's the one that went and did this for me when there's a revelation about something the son has done. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, mom and I did this together. And, you know, it's almost like in some sense, she was more grounded in what the kids would need. And he's the philosopher. He's the heady. He's the, you know, and without both of them, um, they're not going to be able to exist in society until, until something happens, you know. Yeah. No, but I, I, I love this movie. It's my number three movie. Um, and so, the yeah. last scene in that movie is really interesting compared to kind of the opening fan, not the opening scene where the, where the, where the oldest son kills the deer or the boar or whatever it is, but the first cut scene to the family together and the last scene of the movie, it's worth a rewatch to go back and see that first scene played out where all the families together. And then the last scene with him sitting at the table with them again and the transformation they've went through is pretty powerful scene. I think so. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so now we're to Adam. What is your number three? I'm shocked. This is on my list before I, <laughs> I even knew what it was because I detest biopics, movies about people because they just feel like they're better formatted, at least in my opinion, to documentaries, to miniseries on TV. I'm usually just bored silly during them because it feels like you're just moving on such a straight path through the greatest hits of someone's life. Well, we just spent the first part of the show kind of ripping founder for yep. just I, that very thing. And that's probably why I yeah. didn't love founder more is just, I struggle with that. This movie elevates the whole format it, it's Jackie. Wow. Okay. The biggest difference between Jackie and some of the other biopics I've seen is it has more of a cinematic quality to it. It's not looking at her life. It really, focuses in very tightly on the last weeks week of her in the office after Jack's been killed. Wow. So, you know, she's going through a lot. 
newly widowed mother of two, having to move out of the White House because the next president wants to get in there. And you're sort of just following her. First, she's a little zombie-like. But then she really gets wrapped up in figuring out how to do the funeral. What kind of presidential funeral can she put on for her husband? Um, I was excited for this movie when early reviews started calling it. It's like Kubrick or Jonathan Glazer. There's, there's definitely more style to this movie than you'd ever expect in a biopic. And as you leave the movie, I think you have a much better understanding of her as a person just by being with her in these truly awful days and weeks right after that incident. Wow. And this is a movie that um, I'm kind of falling into the same boat with Matt. I'm not allowed to see without my wife. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no way there's no way I'm able to go check this out but until I, my I, wife comes. From watch the it moment I saw the in the trailers, I was very intrigued, and then it's starting to get a ton of buzz for its its uh, portrayals. Um, yeah, Natalie Portman's really great in this. Yeah, and I can't explain to everyone enough. Adam really doesn't like biopics. I mean, he says that. But I know him, and he really doesn't and like biopics. And it was a top, three, top five movie, man. Number three. Oh, my gosh. For him to stick it this high, and as much as he has gushed over it after he watched it, um, it's it's got to be great. It's got to be great, and I can't wait to see it. I mean, when Ray was getting all the awards, I was like, really? This movie? This is the movie you all love? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow. Yeah. I... I I haven't seen it. Roger hasn't seen it, but I can say I would probably highly recommend it just on hearing that he, that Adam likes it as much as he hates biopics. All right. So that is, you've done your number three, Roger, right? Uh, So now we are to number two. I think we're starting with me. Um, This movie has already been talked about. Um, I never would have believed when I started my list that an animated movie would be number two on my list, uh, but it's Kubo with two strings. I, I'll be honest, I really struggled. Um, you know, as I was putting this list together, um, it wasn't actually until today that Kubo wasn't number one. Wow. Um, yeah, th- this this hit all the buttons. I'm kind of looking for in this type of movie, in an animated movie, right? And let me explain why. One, it's beautiful. I cannot express that enough, how beautiful this this movie is. I have, to teen- me. I have teenagers, 15 and 14, that sat with me and watched this film. And both of their reaction immediately after that was, wow, that was really incredible to look at. Yeah, it is. And it's... And the way that they kind of show off what they're doing is you have Kubo who goes to town every day and begs for money. Um, But he doesn't beg for money in the traditional, I sit there and play an instrument and get money. He stops everyone. He becomes the center of attention in this town and everyone is waiting on bated breath. Why? Because Kubo has the ability of some type of supernatural origami. He can fold and unfold paper. He comes with a stack of paper every day and starts a story and plays out the story for everyone in origami. And it is beautiful. And then if that wasn't enough, you know, the reason he's doing this is because he's doing it all for his mother that is living. in. I mean, it is, 
it plucks, you know, it, and I'm not going to give away the, the thing, but you know, there's a reason the movie is called, you know, Kubo with two strings. It, it is, it is great. Um, another reason I like it is when I'm watching movies with my, my son, um, when we're watching an animated film, you get, and any animated film kind of does this. It wants to appeal, one, to the younger audience, and two, to the adults that brought him to the theater. Right? So how a lot of animated movies do that is to throw in throw in, a, in jokes above the head of the kids yeah. that are either sexual in nature or more adult and grown-up in nature. And this movie doesn't do it. It doesn't have to. It has... It has adult themes running throughout that are nuanced. But even if the child grasps them, it's not going to be, um, you know, it, it's not of that sexual nature or anything like that. I mean, it has, you know, essentially parents arguing oh. and fighting and working out differences, but not in a jokey, mean way, but in a just a natural, fun sad way you know and i do have to say that this is you're not going to watch this movie and and it's not a disney movie right it's not like happily ever after and and things like that if you if you're the type of person that gets emotionally invested in the movies you're going to cry i cried my wife cried we hugged each other yeah. as we were watching it we sat and watched it on my couch I was on one side, our son was in the middle, my wife was on the other side, and we ended up all just giving each other a big bear hug, even before the end of the movie. Um, it's that kind of movie. And yeah. I love it when you can get that kind of, of feeling from a movie where you just want to find the, the individuals you love in this world and hug on them and love on them. And uh, yeah, so my number two, um, and until today, my number one movie. Yeah, great movie. I highly recommend it. I, I talked about it earlier. It was number five on my list. I loved Kubo and the Two Strings. Anything you want to say about it, Adam? It's not on your list. It's not on my list. Um, <laughs> I'm the only one here that's not a dad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I liked it. It's a good movie. But yeah, no, it didn't I, hit me the same way it hit you guys. And yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. recognize that. No, I get it. And and. That's why I wanted you to say you're not a dad. I think if you are a parent, I think it hits you in a different way than if you're not. So take that in consideration. Uh, so, Adam, what's your number two movie? My number two film is the only one that I saw twice in theaters this last year. Oh. And that is Arrival. Um, the newest film from, and I'm going to butcher the name, Denis Villeneuve. One of the best upcoming filmmakers that we have. He's not a young guy. But what he's knocked out in his English language films are great. <coughs> it's Enemy, Prisoners, Sicario, which is fantastic. Fantastic. And then Arrival. Um, Roger, you saw Arrival, right? I just sure did. Okay. I am the failure on this one. <laughs> and I, I have no excuses. And, and you know, uh, I'll just, uh, let me just jump right in here because it's my number two as well. Okay. As a, yeah. So it's funny, we both agreed on this as no, our number two. I loved Arrival. Um, it 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 went back and forth between my number one and this and number two spot. I can't believe that Hollywood invested money, big, well, what huge budget? But what fifty million or something? Yeah, Sixty million? Yeah, not insubstantial. In a heady kind of sci-fi. I mean, 
time time travel not time traveling but alien i mean i it just i love the movie it's a movie about language that they poured this much money into you know um amy adams i thought was just amazing in it jeremy renner is good in it forrest whitaker is good in it i love the cast i love the way the movie challenges the way you think we think literally I think this is a movie that Warren's writing about in our Faith in Film podcast, that I, or my Faith in Film blog that I do, because there's deep spiritual themes in this movie as well, too. It, it challenges our concept of linear time the way we know it, you know, and that there's a level above time. And the way that they communicate, the way the aliens communicate with the humans if I told you it was, if I told you just straight up what this movie's about, you'd say that's the stupidest movie. You know, if I said to you it's aliens that come and visit and they communicate to humans by ink blots, right? Yeah. You'd be Almost like Rorschach test. Rorschach test. You'd be like, what? I'm not going to go see. That. I'm telling you right now, Arrival is amazing. It's very heady sci-fi. Oh, it doesn't feel like the studio messed with it at all. There's no action scenes. There are no deviations from the story, and like I said, it's got a great payoff. Yeah, and it's one of those I should have saw coming earlier than I did. I caught it before the end, but when the realization came, what's really going on here in this story was that's why you go to the movies. That's why you go to the theater. It's because of movies like this. So that is, it's my number two as well, and I highly recommend Arrival. All right, so I guess there's no reason to go to Roger for his number yeah, two. You guys nailed we it. did it together. All right, so that takes us to our number one movie, and it is, yeah, Adam, you. All right, my number one is La La Land. Um, it's a musical, if you've never seen the trailer. <laughs> uh, it even opens with a song and dance on the LA, LA freeway. Um. Ryan Gosling is a young jazz musician, and Emma Stone is a young actress. It's a very modern Hollywood movie, but kind of made in the old Hollywood style of a musical of kind of star-crossed lovers trying to make their dreams coming true and their dreams pulling them in separate directions. It's a downer. I think you'll know that if you've seen the trailer or even any of the reviews, but it's good. I mean, it's really good. If you've seen Whiplash, it's the same director. He obviously has a thing for jazz. I love Whiplash. Love that movie. And uh, I don't want to say too much more about it because you guys haven't seen it. I have not seen it. No. I have, I, um, uh, it this is another one. Uh, there is no way. I, I, I could probably get by with seeing Jackie. I could probably get by with seeing some other film with Manchester. No, by, yeah, you see. will not be allowed to see this. But movie. there is no way I can go see a musical without my wife. That is her genre. That is, and until I can watch this with her, there is no way I'm going to be able to see this. Yeah. I've heard great things. Can't wait to go see it. Just haven't had time yet. I'll leave it at that. All right. All right. Roger, number one. So I have a clip to play for my number one movie. It's about a minute and a half long. I think it will tell you uh, this movie I saw early in the year, and it has stayed at the top of my list all year long. Nothing has been able to knock it off. Arrival was really close, but here's a little something from the movie that I consider the best movie of 2016. As for the religious aspect, does the depiction of Christ Jesus cut the mustard? 
Well, the nature of Christ is not quite as simple as your photoplay would have it. How so, Father? It's not the case simply that Christ is God or God Christ. You could say that again. The Nazarene was not God. He was not not God. He was a man. Part God. No, sir. Rabbi, all of us have a little bit of God in us, don't we? Well, it's the foundation of our belief that Christ is most properly referred to as the Son of God. It's the Son of God who takes the sins of the world upon himself so that the rest of God's children, we imperfect beings, through faith, may enter the kingdom of heaven. So God is split? Yes and no. There is unity in division. And division in unity. I'm not sure I follow, Padre. Young man, you don't follow for a very simple reason. These men are screwballs. God has children. What, and a dog? A collie, maybe? God doesn't have children. He's a bachelor and very angry. No, no, he used to be angry. Why, he got over it? You worship the God of another age. Who has no love. Not true. He likes Jews. God loves everyone. God is love. God is who is. This is special. Who isn't who is? But how should God be rendered in a motion picture? God isn't in the motion picture. Then who is Todd Hawkeye? Gentlemen, maybe we're biting off more than we can chew. My question is, is our depiction fair? I have seen worse. Reverend? There's nothing to offend a reasonable man. Father? Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? And what do you think, Rabbi? Hmm. I have an opinion. As you probably guessed, my movie, number one movie of 2016 was Hail Caesar. The audio clip I thought you were going to play was Twerk So Simple. Well, uh, Twerk So Simple. Would that it twer. <laughs> Could you just, just, just come over here? Just repeat this line after me. Would that it twer. Would that it twer. <laughs> I, I tell you, I, love, I loved Hell Caesar. Coen Brothers film. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. And let me just list the cast in this movie. Josh Brolin, George Clooney, Ralph Fiennes, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Channon Tatum, Francis McDormand, Jonah Hill. I mean, and then Alden, Alden oh Lord, Aaron Reich. Han Solo, no. As Hobie Doyle, you know. I, I loved um, Brolin is a Hollywood fixer who, uh, who goes to confession too often, <laughs> according to his priest. Um, Clooney is great as the Roman soldier and the smolder of a Hollywood leading man. Ralph Fiennes as the classical Shakespearean director is hilarious. Would that it twere, right? Channon Tatum and Scarlett Johansson's musical numbers are amazing. It's a throwback to 1940s Hollywood. It's fun. And that's your wheelhouse. It's my wheelhouse. My wheel, one of the things you'll discover very quickly is my wheelhouse is 30s and 40s Hollywood. I love that time period of Hollywood movies. The Ziegfeld Follies, the great musical you know, uh, productions that were put on. And so I just, I love Hell Caesar. It is my number one film from 2016. And uh, it never, it, the only, Arrival got close to bumping it a couple times, but it, it couldn't top Hell Caesar. No, I, Hell Caesar just missed my list. I had it at 11. If I hadn't watched the movie I watched today, uh, it would still be on my list. Um, All right, so, so what's your number one? Uh, my number one is... Uh, let me go down through the cast. You'll know from this movie, um, that guy from Jurassic Park, Sam Neill. That's about the only person American audiences are going to know. 
but it's Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, I saw this movie today. I've been wanting to see it. It's one of those movies I was trying to hold off to see with my wife, and I just said, forget it. I'm going to watch it, and so be it. It's my number one. I loved it. Um, I, I, it's, you know, it, if, if you're the type of person that likes to quote movie lines or likes to remember lines, you know, we have, I have friends that do it. I do it. Um, Ricky Baker is your boy. That's all I got to say. He is your boy. He's a gangster. He, he's a total gangster. So, but I, but I love the sense that even with all the quirkiness, um, it's still a, it never detracts from what the movie's going through. You have a wayward kid who, um, you know, is kind of befriended kind of, if you will, by heck Sam Neill's character. And it just, it works. It works from beginning to end for me. It just, um, made me feel good at the end watching it. It does tie it up in a nice little bow and, you know, everything kind of works out. And, um, I just, I, I just enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait, you know, to see other stuff by this director. I, I just worked. So awesome. I, again, on my cue list to watch, <laughs> I think if I would have seen it, it might be our second film that crossed over to all three of us. Cause I've heard nothing but great things about it. It sounds like it's in my wheelhouse, but just a film I didn't catch. Yeah. It, I mean, it was one of those, I know Roger mentioned, you know, movies not falling into tropes. This one kind of grabbed tropes by the horns, like the standard movie tropes and said, I'm going to use them, but I'm going to use them in a way you haven't seen them before and kind of use them to, to push this movie forward. And it was just good. So. Excellent. Is um, that it? I, I think that's it. I think that's our movies. Awesome. So that's our top 10 recommendations. Um, yeah. I, I do kind of feel bad that. As it progressed on, you can tell it's getting late because we probably talked three times as long about movie number nine and eight than we did about uh, our ones and twos. Well, I, I don't I don't know if I, I agree with that totally because we had a lot of crossover as we got into for at least I did for five, four, three, and two. There was some there was some, you know, crossover there. Right. There was some of those. So. There was. Um, so let us know what you think. Uh, agree, disagree. Are we crazy? Is there a movie that we blatantly missed, right? Right write us a, shoot a tweet. At us, you know, on our Twitter account. Let us know about the movies we missed. Um, so I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and wrap up our show with our movie homework. Be right back. You are listening to The Film Coterie. We're back for our new segment that we're calling Movie Homework. And this was my idea, so I'll take the lead on it. Um, we realize that each of us have some gaps in our filmographies of what we've seen. So I thought it'd be fun each week to assign a movie to one of your co-hosts and then have them talk about it. So for our first segment, uh, we'll go with Roger first. And Matt was responsible for assigning Roger his homework. So Matt, what movie did you give to Roger? So, um, you know, I grew up in West Virginia. We had, for the most of my life, we had three channels. Um, it was like ABC, NBC, and PBS. Um, so I didn't see a lot of movies growing up. Um, movie theaters were few and far between where we lived. 
And, um, you know, I had seen your movies that come on TV and my dad had a vast movie collection on VHS. Once we got a, a VCR that included Top Gun and, um, Iron Eagle. Oh boy. Uh, my, my dad's a pilot. So if it involved flying, yeah. that was, I mean, that's literally the only two movies we had. Um, and then I can't remember where I was. I'd seen all these movies on TV, nothing that, you know, ever sparked my interest. And then I came across this movie, which is the 1950 black and white version of Cyrano de Bergerac, which is a play. Um, but I'm going to spoil his name, Jose Ferrer Ferrar, um, who is like related to George Clooney at this point through marriage. Um, was playing the title role, Cyrano de Bergerac. He had played him and won a Tony on, in, on Broadway and then played him in Cyrano de Bergerac and won an Academy Award for Best Actor. Uh, so when you're talking about that, you're, you're, you know, you're talking about um, seeing a movie with an actor who had an v- extreme passion for playing this character, and I immediately fell in love with that movie. Um, it, I saw it at a time where... Um, you know, as everyone growing up has a lot of self doubt in themselves and, um, you know, they have some flaw that they blow totally out of proportion and do things. And here was a movie about a man, um, with a significant flaw, um, and, um, kind of did what I did, which was overcompensate by creating a very rough exterior, extremely rough exterior, um, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I knew Roger is into the older movies. I know that 1950 is uh, considered a new movie to that's Roger. A new, that's a new release for me. <laughs> um, but I, he said he had never seen it. So I that's what I assigned him. So, Roger, what did you think of the movie? Well, I, I'm glad you did assign it to me. Um, because it's now part of my uh, repertoire of classic films that I, I, I just adore. I had not watched this movie for two or three minutes when uh, a scene came up uh, that I'll just simply entitle rather large. And uh, here's a little clip from the, that scene. So, so anyway, uh, the scene um, is where uh, this, this aristocrat goes on to describe uh, Cyrano de Bergerac's nose. And he says, you have a rather large nose. And, oh, he and, blows his horn. You know, and he's like, rather? All the words you could have chose, and you chose rather? And then he goes on this two-minute diatribe that you guys just heard on the podcast about all the ways he could have better described his own nose, you know. And I immediately thought, oh, my God, I now know why Matt loves this movie. I mean, in an instant, I thought of Matt. I thought of, you know, because I've seen Matt interact with my own kids, and in my own teenagers, and I've seen him challenge them. Why would you say it that way when you could say it this way? Why would you do that when you could have do, done it this way? And uh, I, I just loved, I loved the character. I love the story. There's good humor in it. Um, it is a love triangle. My only exposure, and this is so sad. I, I'm going to out myself right now. My only exposure to this story ever was Roxanne with Steve Martin. Well, that was going to be what I was, I was going to ask because I think a lot of people. Um, you know, probably have seen Roxanne on reruns on TV or something. That's my only exposure as well. Yeah, it's and 
and, and I think Jose it's lost. Ferrar is 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 amazing. It's just unbelievable, and, and it's great. The it's Shakespearean. There's there's subtlety. There's imagery. There's symbolism. The if you, I'm convinced that you. This is a movie that could be watched if you didn't have a TV. You could just listen to this movie, and it would be unbelievable because the dialogue is so good. You know, um, I love the ending of the movie. I love the resolution. Um, I thought the movie was great. There were a couple things. It's a love triangle. It's 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 Cyrano de Bergerac, Roxanne, and Christian. You know, and Christian is the young, beautiful, handsome guy who can't speak who can't really talk who who doesn't have the wisdom of his age or the eloquence of his mind to be able to share how, how he feels about Roxanne and uh uh it's it's a great movie man it's it's I lo- I really enjoyed it it what, was a great start what do you think me. about what kind of man it took for Cyrano to willingly help someone else win the affection of the woman he had always loved well, well, you know, it took Roxanne is what it took, you know, because because she she there's a meeting between Roxanne and Cyrano where she reveals her heart that she's in love and he thinks it's him until she reveals, no, it's this young Christian and he loves her. And maybe I'm reading too much into the story, but he's so in love with her that he's like. And he makes a promise that he will make sure nothing happens to Christian and he will defend him and he'll come along. And the very next scene in the movie is Christian coming out and making nose jokes about him where typically he would have came on like a, just a rawr and just took him out verbally and all this stuff or, or challenged or him. Killed him. Or I mean, he probably killed him. Ch- challenged him to do and killed him. But you could see he's torn because of his love for Roxanne. And so he brings his enemy in under his wing and protects him. And it's just a great, it's a, it's a great scene. I thought by far Christian was the weakest of all the actors. He's, and maybe he played it that way intentionally. thought Roxanne was great. I thought that Jose Ferrar was just unbelievable. Uh, I immediately went to IMDb to see what else he's, this guy has been in, you know, and I think Lawrence of Arabia was one of his other movies. And ironically, Another Matt Wheelhouse. He was in Dune, the movie Dune, which I thought was was interesting. You yeah, know? the Padishar Emperor, the whatever. <laughs> yes. yes, but um, but really, this is his crowning achievement in in, in the movies. Was this role? I, I loved the movie. I thought it was great. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Well, then Matt is up next, and I was the one who assigned the homework to him. And we've already talked about it this evening, but I gave him Captain Fantastic. And the reason I did this is because the second I stepped out of the theater, I thought, I want to know what Matt thinks about this movie. Yeah, I I had the exact same impression. And I see a lot of Matt in Vigo's character. And I mean this as a compliment, but Vigo's really a lion of a dad looking out for his cubs and trying to get them ready for the world. So, Matt, what did you think of Captain Fantastic? All right, so first of all, let me say thank you for assigning this to me because it was a movie that I kind of wanted to see. Um, (laughs) But looking at it, I was like, oh, that's just hippie mush. And there was in a commune or, you know, whatever. And I would have eventually gotten around to it and been happily surprised. Um, But I don't think I would have watched it so early. So I have to thank you for that Uh, because this is not, I mean, for all of the... Um, 
you know, the, the hippie vibe of them living out there and making, you know, like, uh, like rings of flowers to wear in their hair. They are not hippie communes. Like I said earlier, the movie opens up with all of the children. Um, the oldest one being end of high school, ready to go into college down to eight, eight years old or younger. Um, and they're all covered in mud hiding in the forest in the Northwest, uh, of America hunting. a. I said a boar earlier. It's like a deer, a buck still velvet on its horns, probably like an eight point buck. And the oldest son jumps out onto the deer and kills it with a knife. Uh, and then, um, Vigo comes over, cuts it open, takes out the liver. Son takes a bite. He's now become a man. And then it goes on from there. Um, but to me it is, and I think Vigo's character as the movie progresses goes through all the fears, uh, that I have as a new father. Right. Um, it was nice knowing that, uh, after I watched the movie, I went out and researched it and, uh, Ross, um, Adam touched on it earlier, the, the writer and director of the movie, he wrote this out of concerns of, of how he was going to, um, you know, treat his own son. So, um, anyone that knows me, um, you know, these guys do, I made a vow that I would never lie to my son when he was born. So that leads to some very interesting and more adultish conversations than any three-year-old should ever have. You haven't given him the joy of sex book, have you? No. See, Vigo's character goes one step beyond. Like if my son would come to me and say, daddy, where a baby's born, I would explain to him pretty much how Vigo explained it in the movie. He, he goes, you know, um, you know, penis, vagina, inside, you know, he goes through the whole deal. Um, but then go as so far as to give a seven-year-old a joy of sex book. I, to me, to me, that's going a little too far. And I think that's, you know, it's always the fear of, you know, when you try to, to, to maintain this commitment to never lie to your child how far is too far? What will you say to them? What will you not say to them? And then you always have the fear of like screwing them up. Um, and I think that's Vigo doesn't have that in the beginning of the film. And I think that's his growth throughout the film is by the end, he's questioning the way he's raised his children because he sees <clears throat> their interaction oh, yeah. once they come back to society and the fact that they really can't handle it. I mean, in the movie, his oldest son Kisses in a in a great move, a great scene. It's a great scene. His his boy kisses a girl for the first time. His oldest boy, and um, immediately uh, proposes, um, quite comically in front of this girl's mother. Um, you know, just showing how inept they are in society. Um, as far as um, it just it struck a lot of chords with me cause I, I struggle with that. How much is too much. And, um, I also run into this Vigo's character in the movie didn't have this problem, but it's, it kind of hits on a little bit in one scene. One of his daughters is trying to rescue one of their other kids climbing on a Spanish tile roof and falls and almost dies. Um, you know, this is the same father that earlier in the movie was taking all of his kids rock climbing. One of his kids injures his arm real bad, real bad and says, 
there's no one that's going to come help you. You got to, you know, do it yourself. No one's going to do this. And you can kind of see when that scare happens, the change in how he reacts. Oh, yeah. um, from that's the, the biggest transitional moment for him in the movie. No, absolutely. And I think that as a, as a new father, um, you know, it's the same thing I run into. I only have one, one kid, right? I don't have do overs. Vigo had like eight kids or whatever the number was. Um, and it's always that struggle. I think any parent has, regardless of how many kids they have is you want to teach them. You want to do right by them. You want them, you want to give them enough room to mess up without ruining things. If that makes sense. Yeah. And one of the other things I really liked about this movie is there's no black and white villain. The closest thing is the maternal grandfather, <laughs> but you can completely see where he's coming from. His interests are oh, in yeah. the children's best interest. Yeah. There's, there's no character in this movie where you look at them and go, well, I don't, you know, you may not like their character. You may not empathize with the way they're behaving, but there's no one that you can't put yourself in their shoes and go, yeah, that's a reasonable position. And I, I think it's great. Um, you know, there, there've been a lot of years where Captain Fantastic would have been hands down my number one movie of the year. It was just a very strong, I, I just love the movie. I, I love the scene of the grandfather playing with the kids, trying to do their exercises. It humanizes him and he's not a villain. He's a grandpa in his own way that loves his grandkids, loved his daughter and is doing the best he can to try to help the family, you know? No. And I think that is a, a credit again to Ross who wrote this thing. It's honestly, if I've seen him in a lot of stuff, you know, I, I've liked him as an actor, but if he writes more stuff like this, I, I am going to be over the moon. It's yeah. I can't wait to see what he does next. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I hope he can follow it up. Um, because I really enjoyed it. It's, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how it is with people for people without kids. Um, I don't even know how it is for anyone other than me, you know, how this movie relates to them. I think he does a good job of getting it across. But then again, I have a son and I'm, you know, I, you know, I, my son's three, we've already read the Hobbit. We're reading older books. I, you know, as soon as he was able to remember one a section of a story from one night to the other, you know, I started putting him to bed with 350 page novels, not, you know, 10 or 15 page, uh, you know, we still read Dr. Seuss. We do that during the day. We do whatever, but at nighttime it's, um, you know, daddy puts him to bed and we read older material, um, because he can remember it. He enjoys it. Um, I have a son now who sings the song from, you know, the, the dwarfs from the Hobbit, the book, the Misty Mountain song where their dwarfs sing about their home. And that's his favorite song to sing. Um, and I don't think that would have happened if I hadn't taken that step and done it. And it, it, it might be incorrect. I may be wrong, but I think that's every fear that every dad has. And I think, I think they do a great job in Captain Fantastic of capturing that point of where the way you've chosen to bring up your child, you feel you may have screwed them up forever. And obviously he didn't. His oldest son homeschooled, raised in the woods, killing things you know, ends up having his pick of schools to go to. He's accepted to MIT, he's accepted to Stanford. And as much as his father didn't, 
approve of that. His mother was there, and I think Roger touched on her. She was like the stabilizing force with that, um, and that was great. Um, you know, but it always seemed that in the in the movie Vigo had already let go of his wife a long time before she died. Yeah, I think Captain Fantastic is not. It's not a popcorn movie. You, you know, this is not a movie that if you just if you just want something to go see and you're you're in the it's not it's a movie where you you have to really just sit and watch and appreciate the art form that it doesn't fall into these tropes that it doesn't go sidetracked that it doesn't have the I, I don't know it's just it's one of those movies that come along and you're like wow I'm so glad I go to the movies I go to the movies for experiences like that. And one last thing, and I'll let it go, because I've been putting off talking about this until this point. So there's a scene. They have this bus that they call Steve. It's outfitted with still the school bus seats, but the back of it's turned into bunk beds for all the kids. And they're driving down the interstate, and uh, one of his daughters is reading Lolita. Yes, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> and, and he asks her, how, how is it? And she says, Interesting. And the bus explodes, right? All, all, all the siblings start. All the siblings in. explode. What do you mean? That's a non-word. That's a non-word. That's a non-word. And I guess that's kind of the way I treat my son. You know, he's still only, you know, he's three and a half. He'll be four in a little bit. But, you know, when we get into the why phase and he says he likes something, I hammer it right back. Why do you like this? How does that make you feel? And it's more of more of trying to ask questions for him discover to discover who he is. I know he's not going to be able to grasp it at this point, but I want to start in those thought patterns, which Vigo obviously did a lot. If the whole family chimed in and said, that's a non-word, this is a nothing because he's right. When you say, Oh, that's interesting. What in the world does that actually even mean? That doesn't mean, do you hate that? Do you hate it? Do you like it? Yeah. There's- it's interesting. Oh, uh, Okay. And that's an authentic response from siblings because they've been hammered on that. And now they're jumping on another sibling to put them through the ringer. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess I have that in common because that's what I want to instill in my son is that, you know, how does something make you feel? How do you react to it? You know, and I, I grill him on it. And I'm sure if someone watching it would go, oh, my God my goodness, why, you know, why can't you leave this alone? It's because I want him, I want him to build those thought processes where it's more than just, Oh, I find that interesting or I find that picture pretty. Well, why do you find that picture pretty? Why does it speak to you in a certain way? Um, and that's just, you know, what I hope I can instill in him. So I could go on for hours talking about this, but again, I want to thank Adam for assigning me this because I, it was a blast and I'm sure I'll watch it again and again and again. So, Awesome. All right, we're down to me. So, Roger, what movie did you give me? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, whenever you draw Adam, it is a hard assignment to find something <laughs> he hasn't seen. It's like a game of Battleship. It, it really is. I, you know, uh, I, I had a movie immediately, and I was like, have you seen Lady Snowblood? And now I've asked hundreds of people, and they've never even heard of this film. It's, it's, it's the film that really inspired Tarantino's art form with fighting and splattering of blood and all that, you know. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, Adam said. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Anything that's inspired Tarantino, I've probably checked out if yeah. he's talked about it. So, so I, I, you know, I, I'm a lover of classic films. And so I've decided during the early phases of this homework assignment to challenge my fellow moviegoers to films that 
um, have inspired me in different genres of classic Hollywood. And so I assigned, uh, and this is a little older, I wouldn't consider this classic Hollywood, but it's an older film. I assigned 1948 Hitchcock film Rope to Adam. And so before I say anything about the film, I just want to hear what was your take from the film? What did you think uh, about Rope? Okay. Um, I've seen a lot of Hitchcock, but I've not seen Rope until this was assigned to me. Um, it's middle of his career. It's from 48, I believe. And you got to keep in mind, he wasn't making Psycho and Birds and some of those others till the 60s. So right in the middle of his career. And it's an adaptation. It was based on some real murders. And then it was a play. And then Hitchcock took to it. So this is kind of your classic murder at a dinner party style movie. Yep. Um, two guys want to create the perfect crime. There's not even a motive to kill the person that they kill. And he's dead in the first scene. You hear a scream, body hits the floor, the movie's going. They've set up an alibi. They're going to have everyone come over to a dinner party. And the body is hidden just in a chest that they're actually going to use as the buffet table to serve everyone. So that they're kind of taking joy in the fact that not only did they just kill someone and they think they're going to get away with it. They're bringing everyone over to all be sort of alibis. Right. Hitchcock, this was his first color movie. I didn't know that until yep. I looked it up. And he did some camera tricks here. He tried to make the movie look like it was one long take. He hid all of his cuts by kind of zooming in on someone's back or a chair or just something static right. so that you didn't see a cut. So this feels like it's 80 minutes in real time. Um, something else about the movie that's interesting is there's only really one character that's kind of on to the two guys. For murdering the guy, and that's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, he's their former headmaster at their yep. private school. Yeah, and he must know them. They don't really play up their background, but he knows these guys are kind of shady characters, and something's just off about this evening. Well, no, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I, you know, I love this. Jimmy Stewart made four films with Alfred Hitchcock, and they're all just masterpieces to watch, and from my perspective, because. Jimmy Stewart is my favorite actor, so I'll just full disclosure for the podcast. But he tried to shoot a film where it takes place in real time, like you said. It's an 80-minute film, and it takes place over 80 minutes, you know. And uh, the only reason he even had cuts was because they had 13 minutes of film, and they'd run out. So Yeah, it was physically impossible to shoot a seamless movie. Right, and it wasn't an adaptation, and... I love the slowing realization of what he catches on to them earlier in the movie, but then he's there's there's a scene where he's really tipped off where he's given a hat by mistake, and that's the final straw that tips him off. They've murdered their own their own yeah, friend. And I should bring up the murdered victim is the missing guy to the party. Everyone's right. looking for him. Why didn't he show yeah. up? Because these guys have the audacity to to invite the guy's fiance, his mom and dad. You know, all their friends, and they're all expecting him to show up, and he does not show up. And they think they're so brilliant, they can pull it off by just kind of talking their way out of the situation. Well, maybe he's this, and maybe this has come up, you know. So Yeah, and the murders it's based on, and I had to pull this up because I wasn't familiar, uh, involved two guys, and it's just commonly known as Leopold and Loeb. Um, and it's a similar story. These were 19-year-old guys in a private school, and they murdered a 14-year-old student Literally for the fact that they thought they could get away with it and they were smarter than everyone else. Yeah. Um, 
the interesting thing is that this real life murder mystery, the, the two guys were actually in a homosexual relationship. This never would have flew in Hollywood at the time. But it, but it is one of the few movies where it's actually kind of alluded to. Very much so. In the movie. And I think Hitchcock was doing that on purpose. Absolutely. Because the two guys in the movie are Brandon and Philip. Hitchcock, in, I'm reading into this, but he gave some of the female characteristics of the time to Philip. He's yeah. a bag of nerves. He's nervous yeah. about everything. He's being bossed around. Get yep. those guys drinks. He's really sassy. And he's just falling to pieces. He's the one really sweating, getting caught. He's the missing link. Yeah, I mean, he's the, the the weak link that's going to ruin it for him. Mm-hmm. And they these guys, it's not clear what their relationship is. You get that they're friends, but they're about to go off to a cabin together. Right. Immediately after this murder. Um, Hitchcock considered this movie a failure. Did you know that? Yeah, he he thought it it didn't work at all. And I don't know if he's ever other adapted a stage play before. I'm not sure if this is his only one. Maybe he felt it was like too limiting to the story. It's all self-contained. I mean, it's in one apartment. Yeah. It never moves beyond that. And what else here? So, you know, I picked this movie. I could have picked, you know, his more famous you know, Hitchcock's are Vertigo with Kim Novak. Rear Window is very famous. And I'm sure you've probably seen both of those. Yeah, I've seen know? both of those. Yeah. Uh, and The Man Who Knew Too Much. That, that, that was the, his fourth Hitchcock film. But Rope was my first exposure to a side of Jimmy Stewart and to really Hitchcock in a way that I was like, oh, okay, Hitchcock, yeah. And then that led me down the path of seeing these other Hitchcock films, Psycho, and some of the ones he's he's you know was really famous for. So I thought you know interesting, intriguing. I like the idea. He tried to shoot a movie in real time, uh, and I thought well, and you and most importantly, Adam, you had not seen it. I had not. <laughs> so that's why I recommended uh, Rope to you. One of the things that bugged me a little bit about the movie, and it's a common complaint about Hitchcock, is he worked in television. They never had any concept at the time that we'd ever have TVs that were widescreen. Yeah. So he shot in the 1.33 format. Yep. And the problem is when you have five or six people on screen, the blocking they have to do, they're standing on each other's toes. They're talking and their faces are inches apart. You have three guys talking and they're all physically touching. They're so close to fit in this perfect square format that it it just kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I've never really considered that before, but it's interesting to go back and look at it now. With that, with that framework, you know, in mind. So yeah, it's just such a narrow frame that everyone's just standing on top of each other all the time. Absolutely. So um, yeah, well, that was cool. It seems like we all had a unique experience with our movie homework, right? Yeah, and it's time to give out new assignments. So uh, I was last, so I'll give it out first. Uh, Roger, I get you this week. Oh boy, here we go. And I changed my mind. I had one I was going to give you for sure, and then I watched Rope. And I decided I wanted to kind of spin off on this sort of dinner party theme. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the invitation from uh, 2015 or 16. I'm not sure when it was actually released. It's on Netflix. And it's by Karin Kusama. Uh, this is a dinner party to beat all dinner parties. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it. And I will report back next week. Uh, for my homework assignment, I, d- I had Drew Matt. For this week, and um, I, I again drew on classic Hollywood, very old Hollywood, and his movie assignment was a Marx Brothers film called Duck Soup, and um, 
it's interesting. I don't, you either will love this movie or hate this movie. My prediction, I won't, I won't predict one way or another, but, um, there are a lot of, I could have picked horse feathers day at the races, night of the opera. I'm a huge Marx brothers fan because, um, of, and I'll get into that next week because a lot of the humor they use is lost, um, because of the time and different things, you know, but anyway, um, I picked duck soup for a reason for Matt. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that next week when he when he gets a chance to watch well, it. I'm kind of excited about it when you asked me if I had ever seen it. I I mean, one, I knew I hadn't seen it, but I did a quick search and realized it was a Marx brother, and this this may pain you, Roger. Oh no, I have never seen a Marx brother film. <sighs> well, you know what? <laughs> Here's the deal: Duck Soup was my second Marx Brothers film. And after watching it, I decided I would have to see them all. Yeah. So my first Duck Marx Brothers was Horse, Horse Feathers, which is a great movie. But I picked Duck Soup because you'll find it's the most well-rounded of getting to show off the talents of all four of the Marx Brothers. I, I, I hope you enjoy it. If not, if you, hey, some people, my wife can't stand the Marx Brothers. She's like, well, why do you even watch that? Now, Zach just loves, he'll fall over and laugh watching them, you know, so, Yeah. That's, that's well, there. I mean, Groucho. I mean, the Marx Brothers. That's more verbal banter, funny, right? It's a little bit of everything. You're going to get all forms of comedy all with right. this. Because me and the Stooges, like, I don't get along with it. No, like, I, I can't I'll say. That I'll stuff. say right now. I I hate Stooges movies. Yeah, I, not that's not my kind of comedy whatsoever. Yep. All right. So that leaves me. And again, yes. And again, I am Tass. One of us. Each week has to be tasked oh, with giving Adam a movie. I know. It's so hard. It's so hard to find a movie he hasn't seen. However, within, if I'd have known he hadn't seen some other movies, I probably would have picked them. But I still want this one because um, this is, as I said, one of my favorite genres is British gangster films. And Adam likes horror films. And this kind of doesn't blend the two, but... One, it can be said about this movie that it has a little bit of horror roots to it. Um, we'll see what Adam thinks next week, but it is gangster number one. I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, and I, everyone will find out that I also have issue with any movie with Malcolm McDowell in it. Uh, and this has Malcolm McDowell in it, so yay. So, yep, that's it, Adam. Gangster number one. And those are our homework assignments. Awesome. Well, you've been listening to the Film Coterie, quite a long episode. This actually will end up being part two, our second episode. We're going to end up, since we're pushing the three-hour mark, we're going to have to cut this podcast in half and make two of them. But we're so glad you stuck with us, and we hope you've enjoyed the Film Coterie. Um, they won't always be three hours because we won't have 30 films that we will be talking about. Well, and we'll figure out what in the world we're doing. Exactly. <laughs> So on behalf of Adam and Matt, I'm Roger, and uh, thanks for being with us this week. We'll see you next time on the Film Coterie.